Deep within the swampy bowels of government, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar made dismissive remarks about 9-11 while speaking in support of the terrorist front group CARE. When wicked President Trump wickedly attempted to distort Omar's remarks by wickedly quoting them exactly, Omar rushed from the room and quickly donned the costume that revealed her to be the superhero, Victim Girl. Yes, Victim Girl, strange refugee from a crap hole country taken in by the generosity of the United States. Victim Girl possesses the superpower to spew ungrateful, hate-filled, and destructive garbage while still portraying herself as the victim. Joined by her two congressional companions, other Victim Girl and yet another Victim Girl, Victim Girl roams the metropolis of Washington, D.C., trying to undermine our way of life, destroy the state of Israel, and wreak havoc on the economy while whining like a spoiled brat when anyone criticizes her for it. In her latest adventure, Victim Girl was criticized for dismissing the slaughter of 3,000 innocents while speaking to Hamas funders CARE, then immediately played the victim. Other Victim Girl rushed to her aid by quoting a poem written against the Nazis, a group as evil as the people CARE helped support. The poem says, quote, First, they came for the ignorant, hate-filled, anti-Semitic wretches, but I said nothing because I was not an ignorant, hate-filled, anti-Semitic wretch. Or, okay, maybe I was, and maybe I didn't say nothing, but a facile comparison of conservatives to Nazis always works in the media, unquote. Evil supervillain Dan Crenshaw was next to unfairly quote Victim Girl exactly, but yet another Victim Girl struck back by whining, quote, what has Dan Crenshaw ever done to stop terrorism besides joining the Navy SEALs, going on three tours of duty, and losing his eye in an IED explosion? Unquote. That showed Crenshaw. Yes, as long as ignorance, socialism, anti-Semitism, and rationalization of Islamist terror can be found in the Democrat Party, America knows it can always look to the skies and see Victim Girl. And isn't that swell? Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, a funny quirk about human beings is that they like to think of themselves as having overcome challenges, even when they haven't. Every time some actress wins an Oscar and I hear her say, they said it couldn't be done, I always want to ask, who? Who said that? Name one person who said you couldn't make a movie with $75 million in a major studio behind you. If someone is something other than a white Protestant male, we have to hear how she's the first one-armed Lithuanian lesbian to cross the street or whatever, as if great forces were amassed to stop such people from doing whatever boring thing they just did. The fact is, no one in America is trying to stop anyone from doing anything, except maybe from destroying this great country where anyone can do anything. The struggle for inclusion is over. It has been for a generation. Today, the struggle is unreal. If you want to fight for social justice, you have to hunt down some guy who feels bad about himself because he's dressing up in women's clothes and looks like an idiot and wants to blame it on you, just to convince yourself you're in some sort of epic struggle. Why? because struggle can give life meaning. <clears throat> Ease can make people feel unheroic and almost irrelevant. That's why many people were excited by the start of World War I. It gave them a sense of purpose, and in service to that sense of purpose, they went out there and destroyed the greatest civilization that had existed on Earth up to that time. 
which reminds me of the present moment. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, let us talk about the fact that you spend money like crazy because you're using credit cards and you do not know how much you're spending. I do this all the time. It's the credit card. It's so easy. You put in the number, you tap a couple buttons, it's gone. And then the bill comes due. And if you don't pay it right away, the credit card balances are, the credit card, card interest is unbelievable. Take a look at the back of your credit card and you'll see what the interest is. It is not to be believed. But if you go to Lightstream and get a credit card consolidation loan, you can get a fixed rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are no fees with Lightstream. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Plus, Lightstream is a division of SunTrust Bank, one of the nation's largest financial institutions, so you can have complete peace of mind. If you want to save more, my listeners can get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash Andrew. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Andrew for more information. So we got Knowles is going to come on and talk about how someone attacked him besides me and Ben uh, and uh, (laughs) to find out what he was going to say before they unleashed that attack on him. You know, when you look back at the uh, era before World War One, I mean, this was a civilization in Europe that had just risen to a peak no other civilization before. More science, more social reform, uh, very uh, good morality, uh, peace, a lot of peace, especially in England. And you found people writing poems and writing works of art in favor of war. So like Tennyson, uh, before the Crimean War, wrote this poem, Maud, or after the Crimean War, wrote this poem, Maud, about this very neurotic love affair. Great poem, by the way, if you ever uh, want to read it. It's just a terrific, terrific story poem. And, uh, and at the end, after this neurotic love affair uh, all goes wrong, the guy goes off to the Crimean War, and he's thrilled. You know, he says, he says um, we have proved we have hearts in a cause. We, he says, let the war roll down like wind. We have proved we have hearts in a cause. We are noble still, and myself have awaked, as it seems, to the better mind. It is better to fight for the good than to rail at the ill. I have felt with my native land. I am one with my kind. I embrace the purpose of God and the doom assigned. Magic Mountain, too, famous novel by Thomas Mann, ends with the hero after years of languishing in this TB ward, goes off to World War I, and he's just thrilled. You know, it's just the kind of triumphant journey into the meaning of war. If you look at what's happening today in Trump's America, the answer is nothing. I mean, Scott Adams made this point, excellent point, a very good observer, uh, Scott. He made the point that there's no news. I mean, for the last three weeks, four weeks or so, it's been tough to do this show because nothing is happening. That's how good a president, President Trump, has been. He has made there no news because, as we all know, bad news is news. I mean, that's what they report. The, the economy still doing well, sometimes going up a little bit, sometimes a little blip, but it's really doing very well. No new wars, no big acts of terror. We're really actually doing, this country is doing quite well. And I've noticed, by the way, that on the right, this has had a kind of, some kind of effect. I've noticed some of the 
maybe, let's say, more unstable people on the right are losing their minds. I'm not going to uh, mention names because I don't like to attack my own uh, kind, as it were. You know, the Reagan's 11th commandment, uh, don't, you know, you shall not attack your fellow Republicans. But I've noticed there are people who are going crazy, suddenly coming up with these wild conspiracy theories on the right, uh, kind of racial things that we, I think conservatives should all reject entirely and usually do. Uh, but on the left, this make-believe struggle continues, this struggle against injustice. Everybody is a victim. Everybody is having a problem. You know, like, what's the problem? What is the problem? Who is bothering you? If, is, if it's just the fact that people don't think you're a man when you're a woman or vice versa, you know, if that's your worst problem, go get a job. You know, if that's your worst problem, stop complaining. Go do something of worth. This thing with Ilhan Omar is just a perfect, perfect example. Ilhan Omar is not a good person. She is not a good person. She should not be in government. She is not a supporter of the America that took her in after her family came over her over here from uh, uh, Somalia. And she she gave a speech, I guess, last month uh, in Los Angeles before CARE, C-A-I-R, and it had in included this little clip that has dr driven everyone crazy. It's cut one. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Now, now the thing that everybody's focused on, of course, is that dismissive some people did something as if it weren't, you know, 11 of her co-religionists who the something that they, they did was wipe out 3,000 innocent people and destroy one of the landmark buildings of the country. So that that's the thing they got. But everything that she says is wrong. CARE was not founded after 9-11. It was founded in the 90s, 94, 93. And it's a Hamas front group. Hamas is a terrorist group. It, it, uh, who is it? And Andy McCarthy uh, over at NRO wrote a book called The Great Jihad, I believe. He details how they got together. The Hamas people got together and said, we got to sell this stuff in a way that is going to be appealing to America. We're going to sell it in terms of social justice and due process and resistance. And we know this because the FBI was listening in on their conversations as they were doing this. They formed CARE to do this. CARE worked its way into the government. They, you know, under the Obama administration, CARE was advising the FBI. And finally, they were indicted. Uh, they were not indicted. They were named as unindicted co-conspirators in a scam to funnel money to terrorist groups, including Hamas. But they are Hamas. CARE is a, is, is a terrorist front group. So everything she did in there is despicable. It's not just that little remark. But Trump responded by posting this video of her saying some people did something and then showing the horror of 9-11. And so now she's the victim. All of a sudden, oh, I, you know, it, I don't have to say this, but it's whether the politicians or the media, whether it's Democrat politicians or the media, but I repeat myself because they're the same people, they have the same talking points. Oh, she's in, this is putting her in terrible, terrible danger. It's not. It's holding her responsible for her point of view. It's a victim girl. So uh, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, we'll just use her as an example. Uh, she went off on the New York Post because they posted a headline with the 9-11 pictures. And AOC is appalled that anyone, she's shocked, shocked to find that anyone should hold Ilhan Omar responsible for her words in this casino. The level to which Republican and conservative groups, whether they are official party apparatuses, sending out emails, calling me and others domestic terrorists, or whether it's Rupert Murdoch and the New York Post, no, that's not it. That's not it. Printing on the front page 
to circulate all around New York City an image that is incredibly upsetting and triggering for New Yorkers that were actually there and were actually in the radius that woke up one morning or were in their schools and didn't know if they were going to see their parents at the end of the day to elicit such an image for such a transparently and politically motivated attack on Ilhan. This is, we are getting to the level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. Everything about this is opposite day. Everything about it is opposite day. I'll talk about it in just a minute, but first let's talk about calming comfort. It's wonderful on the show. I get all these sleep aids and I never sleep, but they do make you comfortable even when you're lying awake. And calming comfort is a weighted blanket. It is perfectly designed to make you feel like you are being hugged and comforted. People come in my house, they see this, at one point they saw it uh, draped over a chair and people were trying it on going, ooh, this feels so good. You know, calming comfort is designed with high density comfort fill to provide exactly the right amount of weight to help relax your body, it mimics the soothing feeling of being hugged for less stress and a restful night's sleep, or if you're me, for a restful night lying awake. The Calming Comfort Weighted Blanket comes with a 90-day, anxiety-free, stress-free, best night's sleep of your life, guarantee from Sharper in an Image. And right now, just for our listeners, you can go to calmingcomfortblanket.com and use the promo code Andrew at checkout to receive 15% off the displayed price. Again, that's calmingcomfortblanket.com, promo code Andrew. And because you can't put a price on a great night's sleep, go online now at calmingcomfortblanket.com and use promo code Andrew for your special discount today. Everything is wrong about that AOC quote. It's not the, the, she says, oh, it's so triggering to bring up 9-11, but it's not triggering to dismiss 9-11 in front of a terrorist front group like CARE. That's not triggering. And then she goes off on Dan Crenshaw, on Congressman Dan Crenshaw. She sends out a tweet to Crenshaw, who also criticized, criticized Ilhan Omar. She says, you refuse to co-sponsor the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, yet have the audacity to drum resentment towards Ilhan with completely out-of-context quotes. In 2018, right-wing extremists were behind almost all U.S. domestic terrorist killings. Why don't you go do something about that? So this is Il AOC, whose biggest fight, whose World War II is this climate hysteria hoax. This is her big fight, right? And here's Dan Crenshaw, Navy SEAL, and she's saying to him, why don't you do something about terrorism? Here's his response. It's almost not worth responding to, okay, but, but let's unpack this. Okay, so... So she thinks that co-sponsoring a bill, by the way, that isn't out of committee yet, means that's how you're defending 9-11 victims. Last I checked, I, I thought I did defend 9-11 victims. <laughs> I went overseas and, yeah. and tried to make sure that this attack never happened again exactly. and made sure to take the fight to the enemy that committed it. It's not just her either. It's also her counterpart in New York, Max Rose. I mean, the fact that they would double down on this and try to provide cover for Ilhan Omar when... When all you have to do really is say, hey, you know, she misspoke, or maybe, you know, maybe she didn't mean it that way. Why don't you say that? Well, they don't say it because it's not true. She didn't just misspeak. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a minute. I'll, I'll prove it to you in just a sec. But 
the thing, the thing that's so wonderful, because it really does go back to the 60s and this kind of upheaval we had in this country when the children of the people who won World War II, the children of the people who ended segregation, the children of the people who actually transformed this country, brought this country into the 20th century and out of the blood heap of the 20th century into the pre preparation for this revolution that we've had that has made everybody so much richer, so much more comfortable, so much more attached and connected and all this, that the children of those people, instead of going to war in Vietnam, burned their draft cards, burned their bras, made a big fuss about what a wonderful, you know, major uh, struggle they were in against injustice, while other people went off to Vietnam and fought a very, very difficult war that actually did curb Chinese imperialist aggression. The Chinese looked at us in Vietnam and said, if these people are crazy enough to spend that much blood and treasure on Vietnam, maybe they'll do it anywhere. Maybe we should just dial it back. And it really did work. I mean, it really, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to say whether the war should have been fought at all. I don't know exactly, but it seems to me that the effect of that, those people were doing a lot more. It's, it's a, it's that virtue signal, that need for meaning that comes from fighting evil. I mean, there's a lot of this in our society right now. But and, and look, it's it's amazing to me. None of this would be so bad. I, I don't mind Democrats protecting Democrats. But it really is terrible that the media chimes in, that the media is now the cover-up artists. They're the people covering up for the FBI. They're the people covering up for John Brennan. They're the people covering up for the assault on our electoral system from the Democrat Party. And they're the people saying that, you know, listen, Ilhan Omar is an elected official. She made despicable comments to a despicable group in a, in the, in a despicable cause. It's one thing for the Democrats to gather around her, the AOCs and the Rashida Tlaibs. It's one thing for them to do it, but for the media to do it, to chime in in the exact same words with the exact same ideas, that is seriously a problem. Just to, as an example, they're all doing it, but here's Brian Stelter. These viral videos and tweets are how we argue about the future of America, but so much of it is based in bad faith. These outrage cycles corrupt us. Omar's comment was used as a weapon against her, including by President Trump, who has pinned this anti-Omar video to the top of his Twitter page. But there's something bigger going on here with, with this story. It tells us something about the right-wing rage machine uh, and about how news priorities are set. The history of the United States is a tug of war over who belongs and who's equal and who has power. It's the biggest story of all. And yet, those of us in the press oftentimes cover this just in tiny, discrete bits. We, we put a very small frame on the biggest story. I think we do a much better job when we widen way out. And part of widening out involves showing where did this controversy come from? How was it created in the first place? Who created it? Who stands to benefit from being created? And who stands to lose? Who stands to suffer? Okay. Fair enough, potato head. Let's take a look at where this came from, all right? Because the idea is she was just misspeaking. She was just taken out of context. It's so unfair. We're, you know, we're putting her in danger. But remember, she is a, an elected official. She is there. When she speaks, we can criticize. When she speaks, the president can criticize her. I mean, she is a person responsible to the people, responsible to the process. So Brian Stelter is defending her, talking about a right-wing rage machine, instead of talking about the actual thing she says and what she represents. Again, 
elected official. Let's go back to 2013. Now, by the way, I want to just mention that some of this stuff, uh, some of these uh, links came from um, the Federalist. I believe it's, uh, what's his name? Warren Henry. Warren Henry wrote a very good piece about this in the Federalist. You should check it out. The Federalist, very good uh, venue. And I just want to give him credit for some of this stuff. But this has been making the rounds all over the place. This is a 2013 interview where she's talking about a professor and the way he spoke about terrorist groups. But don't just listen to the affect, the laughing at these terrorist groups, these laughing at these people who slaughter Americans and slaughter innocents and slaughter innocent Muslims as well. Don't just listen to that. Listen to the actual thing she says. It was the, the thing that was interesting in the class was every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know. Yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. He's an expert. <laughs> And it was, you know, as What's his it, name? As, what a put his oh, name on the not, we, we What does he learn? We are not saying his name. Uh, yeah. you, you probably get to see him on, on CNN. And well, yeah, of course. I love those guys. But, you know, but, but, but it, is, it is that you don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. You yeah. know, you don't, you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Qaeda. <laughs> But you say these these names because you you want that that word to carry weight. You want it to leave something with. Yeah, it has a cultural meaning, not just exactly. So it's it's you know it's, it's said with a deeper voice. So she's what she's saying is that a weight of guilt, a weight of fear, a weight of terror is being put on these terrorist groups. Why isn't that being put on America and on England and on the U.S. Army? Why aren't they the same? as al-Qaeda and Hezbollah. That's, that is what she's saying. And if you doubt that, if you doubt that, here's one more cut that I took from the, from the same interview of her basically blaming America for terrorism. And th this is a woman, again, taken in from Somalia. She works her way into the United States Congress. This is the kind of welcoming country she's come from. She talks about democracy. Now she's suffering democracy, which is the fact that we get to criticize the words that come out of her mouth without being called right-wing rage machines, without being blamed for or the death threats. And of course, death threats are always wrong. You shouldn't be threatening her. No one should be threatening her. That has nothing to do with it. But criticizing her and threatening her are not the same thing. Just listen to what she's saying here, though, about who's to blame for terrorism. Nobody wants to face how the actions of the other people that are involved in the world have contributed to the rise of um, the, the radicalization yeah. and the, you know, the rise of terrorist acts. So usually most people want to not look internal and see what, the, mm -hmm. you know, what Face about real. their actions yeah. that makes another react. You know, for us, it's always, um, I must have not done anything. You know, why is this happening to me? And nobody wants to take accountability of how these are byproducts of the actions of, you know, our involvement in, in other people's <coughs> affairs. These are byproducts. Terrorism is a byproduct of our involvement in other people's affairs. I mean, so she's talking in defense 
in rationalization of people who have kept their own people in poverty in order to support their violent power with dreams of slaughtering the Israelis, of pushing the Israelis into the sea. That is what they've been selling to these people who could have been become part, just like everybody else who was displaced during this period of time in history. Everybody else was displaced. Everybody else has found their way except for these people because these terrorist groups keep them as essentially as pawns in a political game. And she is blaming that on America and England. She, who has benefited from the kindness, the generosity, the democracy of America, this is, an, this is not, she is not the victim. She is an appalling person. She's an appalling person with an appalling philosophy who should be bounced out of Congress. If Nancy Pelosi had the power that she pretends to have, she would get her out of Congress. She does not belong there. No one should be threatening her. No one should be accusing, you know, attacking her in any real way. But to criticize her and to point out what an appalling human being has gotten into the United States Congress is not bigoted. It's not wrong. It's exactly what democracy is supposed to do. So the struggle is not real. Her struggle is not real. And I want to talk about I want to talk about why people have to pretend there's a struggle and what you can do about it in just a second. But first, let us talk about wise foods, because I am the opposite of paranoid. I'm never worried that, you know, terrible things are going to happen. But Wise Company develops freeze-dried food that's easy to prepare and can be stored for up to 25 years in case of an emergency, right? I live in an earthquake zone. You never know when there could be an emergency. It doesn't have to be the apocalypse. It can just be a hurricane, tornado, earthquake, flood, wildfire, all the things, power outages, even a job loss where you don't have enough food Wise Company provides the food that you need, freeze-dried food for emergency preparedness and outdoor door use. Wise Company meals are designed to protect your most valuable asset, your family. You need them. They're really good to have around just in case. This week, my listeners can get any Wise emergency or outdoor food product at an extra 25% off the lowest marked price at wisefoodstorage.com when entering Claven at checkout. Widefoodstorage.com, enter Claven at checkout, and shipping is free. Wise has a 90-day, no questions asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get yourself and your family more prepared today. That's wisefoodstorage.com, promo code Claven to get any Wise emergency or outdoor food product at an extra 25% off and free shipping in any emergency. What you need to know is how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You know, I think as Pete Buttigieg, who's the latest of the 550 Democrats to, you know, enter the race, he's now declared, this is the Indiana mayor, he's now declared that he is running for president and he made this big speech. I don't know, did we play this? I don't think we've played this speech on this show yet uh, where he he's, he's gay, right? So he's the first mayor, where is South Bend, Indiana. And he, where, where Mike Pence, our vice president, was the governor, right, of Indiana. And he makes this speech about how Mike Pence is hounding him because Mike Pence has is a traditional Christian who believes that marriage is between a man and a woman. So this is not his announcement that he made yesterday, I believe it was, to, that he's going to be president, but this is earlier. And listen to this. My marriage to Chaston has made me a better man. And yes, Mr. Vice President, it has moved me closer to God. You may be, re be religious and you may not. But if you are, and you are also queer, and you have come through the other side of a period of wishing that you weren't, then you know that that message, that this idea that there is something wrong with you, is a message that puts you at war 
not only with yourself, but with your maker. And speaking only for myself, I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. And that's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. <laughs> He's up, the struggle is not real. He's setting up this thing in which Mike Pence is somehow attacking Pete Buttigieg, a mayor with whom he got along when he was in office. I mean, Mike Pence is just trying to go around practicing his religion. And this guy's saying, your quarrel, sir, it's with my creator. And Pence is like, what, what the hell is he talking about? Here's Pence. I think Pete's quarrels with First Amendment. Awesome. All of us in this country have the the right to our religious beliefs. I'm I'm a Bible believing Christian. And is that belief that my wife and I are my wife and I are Bible believing Christians. We cherish our faith. We put our trust in God's word, as do tens of millions of Americans. And I think as he seeks the highest office of the land, as he seeks to be that person that takes the oath of office to uphold the Constitution, he'd do well to reflect on the importance of respecting the freedom of religion of every American. The struggle is not real. I mean, the guy's running for president. He's gay. Ten years ago, maybe so. Maybe that would have been a restriction on him. Uh, no one cares. This is when, when Obama was running for president. Everybody said, oh, the first black president. I was thinking, you know, it, it's, it's nice to get a first black president, but I knew he could get elected. I knew people would vote for him. People really don't care. That struggle is over. The struggle for inclusion is over. Everybody gets it. Fine. And it, but it's, they still have to do it to supply meaning for their lives. And by the way, sometimes... The struggle is an actual invention, like with the tax cut uh, they've been complaining about. You know, the, the New York Times, a former newspaper, ran a, a piece today. Face it, you probably got a tax cut. Face it. You know, that's the, that's the headline. Studies consistently find that the 2017 law cut taxes for most Americans, but most of them don't buy it. If you're an American taxpayer, you probably got a tax cut last year, and there's a good chance you don't believe it. Ever since President Trump signed the Republican-sponsored tax bill in December 2017, independent analyses have consistently found that a large majority of Americans would owe less because of the law. Why not? Why don't people believe it? It's something like only 7 just 20% were certain that they had gotten a tax cut. This is the New York Times speaking, right? To a large degree, the gap between perception and reality on the tax cuts appears to flow from a sustained and misleading effort by liberal opponents of the law to brand it as a broad middle class tax increase. Well, who, hmm, who could have done that, my friends? Who could have done that? It's the New York Times. New York Times had a big, this is August, uh, their big op-ed with the graphs and the things that move when you look at it on your iPad. You know who the tax cuts helped? Rich people. That's what they say. And they're bragging about it, not Iglesias. Matthew Iglesias, who is a, a blogger, and a journalist, right, he sends out a tweet. He says, nobody likes to give themselves credit for this kind of messaging success, but progressive groups did a really good job of convincing people that Trump raised their taxes when the facts say a clear majority. He's congratulating himself for lying. You know, here's the thing. Here's the reason people want this struggle to exist. Many great acts of heroism are essentially what you might call negative goods. Policemen, firemen, soldiers, they all do things that prevent or stop evil. The meaning of what they do derives from the evil that they prevent. It's a negative good. They are not, they're not adding to life. They're preserving life from the evil that threatens it. In the absence of evil, in the presence of peace, meaning comes from something else. 
Where does it come from? It comes from creation, the creation of children, the creation of families, the creation of businesses, the creation of new inventions, marriages, life, art, all these things that are part of the process, the deepest meaning of life, the deepest meaning of life are creations. The left doesn't even want us to do that. Listen to Bill Maher talking about the, the things that matter, the creation of life. Wouldn't it be nicer to just have fewer people around? You know, it's no secret that there are a lot of Jewish people in show business. So on, on days here in Hollywood when it's a Jewish holiday, the traffic, delightful. <laughs> Delightful. That's what we should be shooting for, to make every day look like a Jewish holiday in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, please, masturbate. Don't procreate. <laughs> Yank it until Trump is throwing paper towels at you. <laughs> And remember, the best thing you can do for Earth is not have kids die and stay dead. See, I, really, once you understand, once you understand that creation is what life is about, you can find meaning without evil. You can find meaning without struggle. You can find meaning. There'll be struggle. There's always going to be struggle. There's always going to be evil. But you will find meaning in doing the things that human beings were made to do: make families, make businesses, make new people, uh, make make a world, make art, make the things that you are are made to make. It's inside everybody to make something. And I think that that's where you're gonna you're gonna find your meaning. These guys are so against life. They're so against life that they cannot find it without. A struggle. All right, we got Michael Knowles. If, if he survives, we've, we've hired people to take him out, but we so far haven't hunted him down. But he will be here in just a minute. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com and subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month, a lousy 100 bucks. You get the whole year, the leftist tears tumbler, the mailbag, all those good things. But we got to say goodbye now. So come to dailywire.com and watch the rest of the show right there. All right, so Knowles, he was, <laughs> Knowles was going to give a speech called A Man Is Not a Woman. And this controversial uh, speech got him attacked. Do we have the video of his attack? Well, it's very difficult to use my platform when people use the heckler's veto to try to shut up any opinion that disagrees. I didn't think I was this intimidated. That gentleman just threw paint on me. So, first of all, welcome back. Hey, I'm glad thanks. You're, I'm glad you're all right. That, that actually ticked me off. I got to be honest with you. Um, we're going. To, you and I are going to give Texas A&M, right? We're going to give a joint speech, and I want you to know that I will use you as a human shield. <laughs> I, <know>. any, <laughs> I think it ticked you off because you saw it was a harbinger of things to come. I, 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 so I'm speaking with this guy in three days. I, I, I thought I paid that guy enough to really douse you with that stuff. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> Good help is hard to make. What on earth? What on? First of all, I cannot believe the reaction from the school. The reaction from the school was outrageous. Yeah. So what we heard the next morning from the chancellor of the university, Molly Agrawal, okay. I expected some sort of apology. Yeah. I'm sorry that an invited speaker had to face this. No, no. He began by smearing me as some sort of bigot because I said that men are not women. You, S.O.B. Monster. <laughs> then he said that my stated opinion 
does not go along with the school's commitment to diversity and inclusion, which is very funny because I said that there is a diversity of sexes. There are men and there are women. Right, exactly. And he said it doesn't go along with diversity. <laughs> that everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. <laughs> yeah. And then he said that my opinion was extreme, that men are not women. So he smears me as a bigot. The, the part that really got me, though, I expected that from a leftist idiot <laughs> yeah. administrator. Yeah. The part that really got me is he said that the protesters in the room behave just delightfully. They're screaming when the guy comes in. From the very minute that I came on, yeah. they are screaming like banshees. You can't really hear it that well in the video. People in that room could not hear my lecture. Yeah. They came up to me after. They said, I hope that you recorded the audio because I couldn't hear it in the room. They screamed nonstop for about 20 minutes until they got up and then one of them sprayed me with some strange smelling chemical. It's it just, it is just bizarre. And all they do is complain about what victims they are. Like I was just talking in the show about Ilhan Omar, you know, oh, I'm such a victim and all this. The only people who ever get attacked are people wearing MAGA hats and, mm -hmm. and you and like Ben and you know. They like, put it actually in this uh, missive they sent out. They said, we're gonna have a walkout in the first 10 minutes of Knowles' talk, and but it has to be a silent walkout or else you're putting transgender people at risk. Huh? Meanwhile, yeah, I, I don't quite understand how that, but then meanwhile, one of their activists came in and squirted me with some weird smelling substance. Luckily, luckily it wasn't, yeah, initially we heard it was paint, then we heard it was bleach, then we found out it was some non-toxic assembly right. of, of chemicals. So what were you gonna say? I mean, I was going to say the most outrageous and radical <laughs> statement you can imagine. This talk yeah. has been portrayed in the media as an anti-transgender talk. Right. Now, of course, they don't know whether it was or not because I never got to give the talk, <laughs> even yeah. though they, they yeah. said that there were all these lines. The, the talk itself is about the evolution of gender ideology, how we got to the point that the statement men are not women has to be defended. If you took a time machine back five years ago and you told someone that it would be a controversial topic to say that men are not women. They right. would laugh in your face. Right. But somehow, in the last five years or so, this has become the central, most controversial statement you can make. And this owes a lot to the development of gender ideology over the last 20 years, the intersectional ideology, and to the rise of second wave and third wave feminist ideologies. Yeah. Ironically, of course, this new evolution to say that there is no such thing as men or women is not an advancement for the gender ideologues. What it does is actually destroys the categories. It, it, it destroys, lesbians complain about it because they say what, to be a lesbian is to be a woman attracted to another woman. That's the definition of being, if there's no women, what are you? Feminists yeah. complain about feminists it too. Feminists too, of there, course. There was a feminist woman, Megan Murphy. <laughs> you notice that no matter what happens, the women get the short end. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny how this always seems to happen. There was a woman who's the editor of the Feminist Current, a Canadian feminist journal, Megan Murphy. Okay. She was banned from Twitter for hateful conduct because she said men are not women. Really? And what is feminism? Feminism is a terrible ideology, but yeah. it, on its own terms, feminism is the exploration of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a wife and a mother and a single woman from the perspective of women. Right. And what is the transgender ideology? It is defining womanhood from the perspective of men. It is the literal inversion of decades and decades of feminism. It's also the level at which the, you know, I think there are some interesting questions that you can ask about gender, where it starts, where, you know, how, how much of it is nature, how much of it is cultural, all, all those things are things that intelligent people can, can converse about. But this idea that you should be shouted down for saying men are not women, it is this thing about finding 
anything to make you feel that you are in a fight for justice. Yes. Nobody's in a fight for justice in this country. There may be two guys who are arrested by the wrong, you know, for a wrong crime, who are in a fight for justice, but nobody, there's there's nobody who's being oppressed in this country. Well, this is what I told this gaggle of mostly white liberals, because yeah. it's always white it's liberals. It's always white it's liberals, always, I know. They start screaming at me and F you, and, yeah. they're, and as they were walking out, I said, I know you're so terribly oppressed. I know your life is so hard. You have to live in the freest, most prosperous country. You have to attend a beautiful university. You have to go to lectures voluntarily. Uh, you're so oppressed. And they screamed back at me with the earnestness of a maniac. They said, I am oppressed. Really? I, yes. Well, you know, I noticed in the video, this guy comes in, and he, he takes a shot at you, right? And the cops do what they have to do. They wrestle them down. They don't know what's in that jar, right? They want to go home to their, their wives right. and kids. So they, they wrestle them down. And they start screaming, hands up, don't shoot. So the whole <laughs> thing. So wait, wait. I mean, hands up, don't shoot. Something nobody ever said, right? It was a complete hoax Completely to begin with. Up. Right. And this is the attacker. He's the assaulter. So it's like a complete fantasy world they're living in where they're oppressed because somebody was stopped from attacking you. That's exactly right. They, <laughs> he's like, got yeah. this. And by the way, the, the attacker, I should point out, he sprayed me with a non-toxic substance. Right. He clearly intended it to be interpreted as a dangerous chemical. Right. That's why it had a very strong smell. That's why it had a very strange color to it. And that's clearly what the police thought was going on as well. Luckily, they were so professional, they took him out within seconds. And then because he failed, because one, he didn't have a hazardous chemical, and two, he wasn't even able to spray his hoax chemical. Right. They claim victimhood again. They, they actually said, the Kansas City Star sent out a piece the next day. They said, the protester probably wanted to be attacked. Then they quoted a what, bunch what, of students. I kid no, you not. You, not the protester. Or, or I'm sorry, the, the speaker the, yes, wanted to be The speaker wanted to be attacked. That's like you wore a short skirt, so you deserve to be raped. That's <laughs> you, a, a I was wonderful. asking for it. Yeah, wow, that is wonderful. That's yeah. what they, and they said, wow. the, the students came out and they said, this speaker targeted our school because he wanted to make us look bad. <laughs> yes, which they made it easy. They, they did. It. They sure did. By the way, yeah. I was invited to the school. I didn't say, please, yeah. please, University of Missouri, Kansas City, let me fly to the middle of the country, please, to give a That's speech. Unbelievable. This is, I mean, and, and really, like a newspaper attacking free speech. It's like, do they not, can they not think far enough ahead? You know, it's like the Japanese joining the racist Nazis in World War II. Like, could they not think far <laughs> enough ahead to think, maybe yellow people shouldn't join white supremacists? <laughs> you know? the, I mean, do, who do they think they'll come for next? I mean, this is the issue. The, the editor of that paper, the Kansas City Star, is a guy named Mike Fannin, the chancellor of the university, a guy named Molly Agrawal. The same principle that Mike Fannin is exhibiting, Molly Agrawal does, which is, if you're not going to defend the exchange of ideas on campus, what do you think is next for your uh, university? Right, right. Who what, do you, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, and what happens when you have a guy who writes an op-ed in your paper who's not like who doesn't agree with it? What are you talking about on the show? So I'm going to be giving a history of violence. Now, I mean, I'll recap. <laughs> I can go into a little more detail exactly what happened, but then I want to put it into the broader context of the incitements to violence. Because as far as I can tell, the only guy in the last three days who someone tried to attack is me. I know, and I know. <laughs> and, they're, and they're saying Elon Omar. They're saying this person and that person. And the conflation of speech 
with violence mm -hmm. is at the core of it here, and yeah. we're going to talk about how that came to be. And as you know, we feel here at the Daily Wire that only Shapiro and I get to attack it <laughs> in, in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, I'm glad you're all right. I mean, seriously, it was it really did bug me that uh, that they allowed it to happen, and the fact that they're not standing up for you, even the people who disagree with you, is like a, a violation of American ideals. Well, that's such I mean, a, even I'm standing up for you. I can't stand you. And that, I'm so honored by your saying that I cannot wait to be your human shield tomorrow night <laughs> at Texas A&M. That's, that's all I ask. I'm not. <laughs> All right, a fi final reflection. Obviously, so much happened yesterday. Uh, Tiger Woods ran, won the Masters, which was kind of amazing. Somebody, Matt's idea shop, put up a Twitter of Tiger Woods at his lowest, saying Obama's America, and Tiger Woods winning the Masters, getting the green jacket of Trump's America, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Game of Thrones came back on. We're not going to say anything about it yet because I don't want to give anything away. But if you haven't watched this show, The Highwaymen, uh, it's, I wouldn't call it great. It has two great performances in it. Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner are both terrific. Uh, uh, Costner uh, plays Frank Hamer, uh, who, who uh, hunted down Bonnie and Clyde, two psychopathic killers who be, were romanticized. They were romanticized in the famous Arthur Penn a movie starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway as these beautiful characters who were hunted by society. In fact, they were psychopathic killers who killed people, innocent people helplessly, killed lawmen who were lying helpless in the street and just blew them away. They were absolutely terrible people, and Hamer uh, shot them down. If you are interested in Frank Hamer, there is a book called Texas Ranger, The Epic Life of Frank Hamer, The Man Who Killed Bonnie and Clyde. It's by John Bossenecker. Uh, I read it. This guy lived... Epic life doesn't begin to describe it. This guy fought everybody. I mean, as a Texas Ranger, he hunted down Mexican bandits and gangsters. He was, it's interesting because one of the things that I really liked about the book that isn't in this show, The Highwayman, uh, is that Hamer was typical of his time and place in that he looked down upon black people. He didn't hate them. He actually liked uh, many black people because they had helped him out in moments of struggle and need, and he understood that. It's not like he denied their humanity or anything or was uh, hateful toward them, but he had the usual uh, things that people thought about their inferiority. However, however, again and again, he stood alone like a guy in an old Western, an old Gary Cooper film against lynch mobs coming to get black people who probably in many of the cases were guilty of what they were being, uh, what they wanted them to lynch him for. And he stood alone. At one point, he hid in a swamp with this guy, this poor black guy who was being hunted by the mob and defended them. He stood uh, in a, one of the, an epic battle uh, to save a guy inside a jail as a, an entire town uh, came to get him, came to take him down. It, just an amazing description of the complexity of the human heart and how you can have beliefs that uh, we might reject today. I think we would. I would reject them today, certainly, uh, and yet still do the right thing because you believe in justice. The uh, show is called The High Women. It's, it's entertaining. It's a little too long, about 15 minutes too long, but it's entertaining and really interesting, really well done, very beautifully directed. But the book, uh, if you just want to know more about this epic, epic life, it's called Texas Ranger, The Epic Life of Frank Hamer, The Man Who Killed Bonnie and Clyde. It's by John uh, Bossenecker. Uh, I read it. I really enjoyed it. All right, so Knowles and I are off to Texas. I will be speaking, we'll be speaking at Texas A&M, and then I'll be speaking somewhere else, Dallas somewhere, who knows where I'll be. Uh, I, I may just have to put Knowles in my suitcase to keep him as a human shield, uh, but I will be back here. I'll be broadcasting from the road by remote, and I'll be back here Thursday, and I will see you tomorrow from the road. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show.
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. The left is crying crocodile tears over fake incitements to violence. Meanwhile, leftists regularly commit actual violence against conservatives, including little old me last Thursday. We will expose the left's grievance sham. Check it out at dailywire.com.